Hey, welcome to the Church Explained podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. Today we've got an amazing guest, Vernon Gordon, with us today. Hey, Vernon, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing good. So we've got myself and Nathan. Yeah, and um, as Dave said, we're your hosts of the Church Explained podcast. And um, Vernon, I'm going to read your bio, and uh, hopefully Ooh. this is all correct. Uh, you're the lead Legit. pastor of Life Church in Virginia, founder of the Mosaic Project, a non-profit focused on curating social change and cultural unity for the greater good. And you are a self-proclaimed expert on bacon and movies, which I think we're going to come back to in a moment, sir. We're going to come back to in a moment. You're also an author of a brand new book called Square One, Finding the Courage to Start Over, Stay Strong and Shape Your Future. He has his wife, Ashley, and have two kids, Madison and Jackson. So my first question, Vernon, is on bacon. How do you like it cooked? Ooh, a little crispy. Oh, but on. not too crunchy, right? Okay. And mm. uh, and and ultimately, uh, it, you know, I love all kinds of bacon, but the best bacon I've ever had has maple syrup and oh. a little pepper on it. That's they they nice. call it million dollar bacon. It's amazing. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and what about movies then? What's your favorite movie? Ooh, my favorite movie. So I always give this answer when they ask about a favorite movie. <laughs> There's a movie that makes me laugh every time. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's a movie that made me fall in love with movies. The movie that makes me laugh all the time is Identity Thief. Mm-hmm. And the okay. movie that made me fall in love with movies is an older movie called Primal Fear with Richard Gere. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest endings of all time. I won't give anything away. But that was when I said I was watching the movie with my dad and I said, you know what? I think I love movies. And that was the moment. Wow. Fantastic. I know. I was just going to say, Dave, we've already started on the deep things. Yeah, deep stuff. Deep stuff. This yeah. is this is where it gets. Um, yeah. Have you seen the Have you seen the new Top Gun Maverick? I have. I Ooh. have. Um, and uh, I thought it was good. I, yeah. I, I thought it was great. I mean, it's really risky when you remake a movie that much later down the road. Definitely. Uh, and whatever Tom Cruise drinks in the morning, uh, I need that uh, smoothie recipe because I don't know how he's sustained that. So. Uh, but no, it it was awesome, and uh, and and I think you know, there's some movies that can just last. You know, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, Harry Potter. You know, they just they just last. And Maverick, you know, seemed to kind of keep that legacy going. So that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. he done done a good job. And as you say, I think we're happy to have a little bit of what he has, whatever he's drinking. <laughs> and I I don't think he's maybe eating too much bacon. I think that's the problem. <laughs> So, who, who knows? Who knows? Everybody has their vices. <laughs> so, Nathan, we're just going to explore a bit more with Vernon today. Um, he's leading an amazing church, and uh, we just want to find out a little bit more about you today, Vernon, and maybe maybe a little bit about how you came to faith, your journey, your background. I think that would just be great for our audience, our listeners to find out today. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, I will start by saying, you know, it, it certainly was a unique journey for me. Mm. Um, I was a former cancer patient. I was diagnosed at 10 years old, Wow. had two tumors, 13 surgeries, three years of chemotherapy. Uh, they told me I would die three times. 
Um, and so for me, often going through that experience, while it was a miracle for me to still be alive, I often say that when I left that experience, I left loving God, but I had a lot of questions about the church. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't understand how uh, as a 10 year old and 11 year old, as a 12 year old, people could play golf for hours and could shop for hours. But uh, as a sick kid, I just felt like I didn't see enough of church presence. And so it really kind of, you know, made my faith journey a little difficult early on. Um, but but one of the beautiful things that transpired was uh, I got a call from the hospital and they said, hey, Vernon, you and your family uh, navigated this season with uh, joy and laughter. And we were always uh, cutting up in our room. And they said, we would love it if you would come and talk to newly diagnosed families and just share your story and share how you kept your smile and your laughter during the journey. And, uh, and it was those moments that really awakened in me this desire to be what I called a communicator of hope. Uh, I didn't know what to call it at the time. I certainly didn't proclaim it as preaching. I just knew that the feeling I got to add light and hope to their lives. Um, I said, hey, God, I don't know what this is, but I want to do it for the rest of my life. Yes. Uh, I want to bring that type of hope to people. And, uh, and then God sent me on a beautiful trajectory that has landed me here today. But certainly uh, that was kind of my journey, my starting point uh, in finding my way to God, finding my way to ministry. Uh, but it started all with cancer. Wow. Wow. That's, what that's a, what what an amazing amazing story that is. Uh you mentioned that phrase communicators of hope, Vernon, and I wonder if we could dive into that a little bit in terms of uh I know you carry that yourself, but also you carry that in the church. So I wonder if you'd just explain what that means in terms of for yourself and also for the church in terms of carrying that message communicators of hope. Certainly. And, you know, I think it's one of those phrases that has been really sticky for us. And the heart of the matter is to help people feel seen, known and loved. Uh, our focus is that hope comes when people who are in a world of rush, in a world of busy, in a world where maybe it feels like the job doesn't see them, their spouse doesn't see them, maybe they're, they're missing each other in communication and the myriad of other factors and influences that sometimes just cause us to see ourselves as less than how God sees us as his sons and daughters. And so one of the things we just said is what people need when they not only step foot in our building, but encounter any of our experiences, uh, whether digitally or in person, is they need to know that there is hope. There's hope uh, for their future. There's hope for their present, uh, that God is a God of hope. And, and we feel like the way, the path by which that often comes about is by helping people first feel seen, uh, then feel known, and then feel loved and that that hope continues to fuel them to continue to fight another day uh, for the future that God has already promised them. Great. I wonder if uh, you could actually for our listeners uh, that seen known and loved, I wonder if you could give some like practical real life examples of where that uh, at works through your yeah. church. Certainly. Yeah. So one of the things we often talk about is the seven minute rule at our church at a practical level. Uh, what we talk about is, uh, you know, anytime we're doing a training or a development of leaders, we say the most important time on our church's campus is the first seven minutes. Uh, and it was some research we had encountered a while back, but it basically said within the first seven to 10 minutes of anybody's experience anywhere, they've already determined if they feel comfortable. Uh, we all probably know what it's like to show up to that house. And, and I don't know if anybody has a spouse, but me and my wife have a signal 
it's kind of like, how long are we going to be here? <laughs> and so, but you can kind of tell very early in any experience, how do I feel here? And so we say, what happens in the first seven minutes? Well, the parking lot happens in the first seven minutes. The children's check-in happens in the first seven minutes. The greeter at the door happens in the first seven minutes. I often tell them, hey, you are equally as important uh, as the sermon. Not, you know, that the preach word isn't important, but if we don't make people feel comfortable before that, then 45 minutes later, they've already decided that this is not a place they can feel seen, known, and loved or feel comfort. Mm. Uh, another way uh, that we try to really be mindful of that is we try to ensure that the experience when people are walking up is one that they can relate to no matter what stage of faith they're in. So mm. we will often play a soundtrack, not the lyrics, but we will play soundtracks on the outside of our building uh, that are common. Uh, it, it is so hilarious to play soundtracks of old school Stevie Wonder or <laughs> Ray Charles. And people are like, oh, I kind of know that song. That kind of makes you feel yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of nostalgia. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and we've even done things as far as playing classic Disney. Uh, you'd be so surprised the grown men uh, and the fathers <laughs> get into that moment. So Akuna Matata is yeah, good yeah, for everybody. Yeah, yeah true, so true. Uh, it's a way to kind of really ease the anxieties and the unknowns of a new environment. And to say, no matter what stage of faith you are in, we're creating an atmosphere where we're with you in this and we want you to feel that comfort from day one. And that's one of our core values as well. We say we throw family functions uh, which is all about our aim of comfort. We say if you've ever been to a cookout or a picnic, uh, the whole family's invited, no matter their background, uh, no mm -hmm. matter how crazy they are, they're all invited to the table. What would it look like for us to create atmospheres where in the first seven to 12 minutes, everybody feels invited to the table? So those are some of the practical ways we try to think about it. Great. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And I know they often say with that, uh, they talk about the street, from the street to the seat concept the seven yeah. minutes and um and often they say is when people come into your building and they come into the service they're filtering everything through even the preacher they hear they filter through how was i received back at uh, at the car park coming in and if, and if it's yeah. not done well there we know it impacts you know what they hear even in the service itself so yeah that's a great example and stuff i think people can put into practice in their own setting can as I, well yeah, go for it. And Dave, if I, if, I could, if I could add to that, you know, yeah. one of the things I think that we had to really recognize for anybody who's leading a team is that everybody's not an extrovert and everybody's not natural at conversation. Yeah, that's right. And so often when we talk about helping people feel known and creating these environments of comfort, we just tell people, hey, you know, be hospitable. Love and it. hospitality is a very ambiguous and a conceptual term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you put me in a room full of strangers... I'll leave knowing everybody's first name. Uh, if you put my wife in a room full of strangers, uh, she's going to leave knowing five people's name, but she's going to know everything about those five people. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things we often do is we give people three conversation starters like once a quarter. We're like, hey, here are the three questions we want everybody asking everybody. And what that does is it takes a lot of pressure off of our teams to have to overthink about, I know I'm supposed to make people feel known and seen and loved, but I'm not a natural at that. So what's the question? And we do what we call rabbit hole questions, questions that naturally create conversation. So we'll say, mm -hmm. ask people what side of town they're from. And uh, and people will naturally say, I'm from the north side. We say, oh, after church, I'd love to introduce you to somebody else I know that's from that side of town. Um, or we may even say, hey, uh, the finals is going on right now in the NBA. We'll say, 
hey, who are you rooting for? And either they'll say they're not a basketball fan, which they'll, oh, so-and-so's not a basketball fan either. Or mm-hmm. we'll say, oh, you got to connect you to so-and-so. So uh, we just try to give our teams an advantage in that, mm-hmm. uh, that because yeah. they want to help us, but often we can give them concepts and not concrete approaches to being right. able to create that type of experience. Mm. I love that. It sounds like uh, how you're describing your church and the things you guys are doing. There's a lot of sort of innovation taking place there, some of the ideas you have. I wonder if you could just speak into that. Tell us some about your, the things you're innovating and, and how you approach that. Certainly. Uh, so innovation is certainly important to me. Uh, it is at the core of, I believe, my identity in many ways and, and, and been at the, the beginning, of the inception of our church. Yeah, I think one of the starting points about innovation for me is just to always make sure we make clear that innovation is not always necessarily technology. And I think that's a fallacy sometimes that we fall into is this idea that when we say innovation, we mean, well, what app can we create? And and we're working on apps and stuff, too. But what technology can we implore? But really, innovation is solutions to problems. Right. And so uh, for me, as a former cancer patient, the first expression of innovation we ever had in our church uh, you know, my wife and I began dialoguing before we planted and said, you know, there are a lot of kids who were like me who probably don't see enough representation where they are and we're waiting for them to come to the church. And so what we decided was each and every fifth Sunday, we suspend our traditional worship experiences and we mobilize our entire church community to do an outreach project in the city. Wow. And the purpose of that is one to to really like have a message and a narrative that shocks the entire community. Like, wait a minute, you guys aren't singing songs today and hearing sermons? No, 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 we're living them today. And so uh, it's, it's always a really, really um, amazing experience for people to be like, isn't it Sunday? <laughs> like, yeah, this is our expression of the gospel in church today. Uh, but, but it also has given us a huge evangelistic pool to be able to really, what we feel, do life like Jesus. I think Jesus was the first innovator, right? If we really oh, look at his right. life, uh, he, he, there, there, he wasn't the only rabbi of his time. Uh, he just was doing things radically different than the other rabbis of his time. And so I think that he inspires uh, the heart and the courage of innovation. Uh, I also think at a, at a practical level, I love what Seth Godin says. He says, yesterday's remarkable is today's really good and tomorrow's mediocre. And so I think we all have to keep in mind that um, whatever we innovate and is effective for this season sure. in, an- in another season w- may not be equally as effective. So if that is true, innovation is not just an outcome. It's a journey, mm. right? It's an ongoing journey of exploration that. that requires two things at its core, vulnerability and humility. And uh, and I-, I can speak more to that if, it- if, it- if it's helpful, it. but-, but definitely yeah, I think that's... Yeah. Well, I think I think the reason why it requires vulnerability is because innovation always inherits some measure of risk. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things we always encourage our team and our leaders to do is we, what we like to do is say we institutionalize uh, failure. Now, everybody, some people don't like that word. So <laughs> we can often say too, uh, we ensure that we institutionalize off seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. If you know anything about athletes, there is an off season and in the sure. off season, every athlete I've ever known is a time they try things that they won't try in the normal season. Yeah. Well, the challenge with church is 
we don't have an off season. <laughs> so, you know, all year round, people expect you to just keep doing the same thing and keep doing the same thing. And so uh, I was talking to an athlete one time and it really clicked to me. He said, I try all my new things when nobody sees so that when the game shows up, uh, mm-hmm. I have been able to fail in private. And so what we often do is try to give our team like, hey, here's a month where I want you to fail. Like uh, recently in the staff meeting, I asked our team, what have you failed at recently? And I gave two people a gift card for just being vulnerable about their failure, um, giving people permission to take vision-centered risk. Now, there's a difference between risk just for risk's sake. Sure. Um, but to be vulnerable enough to take vision-centered risk. But the other thing I think that innovation as a journey reminds us is that, uh, you know, innovation doesn't just show up instantly. It is a ongoing process of humility as well. That it it pushes us to learn from every voice in our community. It pushes us to learn from every voice on our team. Uh, It pushes us to not be satisfied with solely our own opinion. And that requires humility. It requires us saying, hey, somebody understands this problem better than me. And if we're going to create a healthy solution, uh, we got to bring new voices to the table. So I also think it creates a healthy influx of collaboration uh, and working genius as well for us to ultimately take the journey towards uh, healthy solutions so that we can continue to keep the gospel moving forward. Super. So, so I love that idea of innovation you've been sharing there. Um, and I'd just be good to find out what other things are you trying as a church? Uh, what, are, what are you embracing? And how do you, um, how do you feel in a way where it's not seen by other people. Does that make sense? So you know, try things out. You've said it with the staff. Is there any other ways you do that as well? Certainly. So, uh, you know, one of the things we do, I, I mentioned Fifth Sunday already. That was one of our, our original forms of innovation, I guess I would say, uh, as an evangelistic heart and initiative. Uh, one of the things we're doing is something called Shalom Weekends. And mm-hmm. so we've just launched this. It has been phenomenal so, so far, so good. And it's been really interesting to see the feedback we've received. What it means is every first, second, and third weekend, we gather together for our traditional worship experiences. But on the fourth weekend of every month, uh, we gather together in um, intimate gatherings, very similar to the Acts 2 Church. Uh, And while there are home gatherings that we develop and curate across cities and counties and across the country, as well as uh, some community gatherings, so we kind of uh, allow for people to also say, hey, I want to influence my neighborhood. So I'm, I am actually renting out my clubhouse and inviting all my neighbors. Uh, we have people who are on AAU basketball teams, and I'm not sure if you guys uh, you know, familiar with what that means, but AAU here mm-hmm. is the Amateur Athletic Union. Mm-hmm. And it basically means that uh, young people are traveling more than their parents. I mean, they travel all summer wow. with a sports wow. team to different states. But we started to mobilize these parents and saying, hey, you don't, like the gospel doesn't stop because you're out of state. How about you gather all of these kids and their parents um, around a table in a conversation? And then we have on-site gatherings for people to come and be around the table as well. Still a worship set, still some shared word, but then we create way more space for a table dialogue. Mm. And the thought here is simply this, uh, that people would, again, going back to that idea of being seen, known, and loved, that when, when they come into a service, they sit, they experience and then we got to get them out of there because the parking lot got to be has to be cleared for the next service. <laughs> um, but this is actually an opportunity for more intimate dialogue. Uh, it is an opportunity to create space for community building initiatives. 
And what we also have found is it is an opportunity for people to take ownership of their faith journey in new ways. Um, you know, to say, hey, I'm not just in my neighborhood. Uh, God may have me on assignment in my neighborhood. And so people are really taken to this idea of being on mission, that the Great Commission is not just to show up to church, but to do something when you leave it. Um, so that's been one of the most exciting forms. It's taken every working genius we have on our team from the technological side to those who are great community evangelists and all of those different things. We also are building out an app that is really the heart behind our app. Our objective has been, how do we make uh, a, how do we make the heart of our church one tap away? And so everything from not only video and content that is discipleship centered, but we also are looking to have a part of that app uh, be something that is socially centered. Uh, mm-hmm. We have something now called community groups where people get a chance to connect around sewing and crafts and all the other things which we've heard about, well, what does it look like for people to be able to access that on an app and say, hey, we're, we're, we're cooking together tonight and you can do it from anywhere. So those are some of the ones that I'm really, you know, just excited about that are coming to fruition. And uh, and, and they, they certainly have had us up late at night, but but we're excited about the fruit so far. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds amazing. And, lots, of, um, lots of great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Go for it, Nathan. I, lo- I love the thought of being innovative and uh, love that thought of um, being in a, a church that is innovative. Um, but just thinking about that, um, what are some of the barriers that you personally may have faced as a leader, but also that you may have faced as a church, even just thinking around this idea of being innovative and mm. uh, even tackling the uh, the questions of, but aren't we, uh, aren't we just a church? Shouldn't we just do this? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wonder if you could speak into that, Vernon. Certainly. And, and I'll try to offer some healthy solutions so I don't just right. sound pessimistic, but certainly <laughs> um, we have received our fair share of emails and complaints from, look, it, it, you know, church explained, right? From top givers, from key influencers. Hey, if you keep going down this path, I don't know if this is the right place for me. So we've, we've experienced that. Um, certainly, you know, one of the barriers we've also experienced is Again, just going back to the earlier point of the, the risk of failure. Um, at the at the end of the day, innovation requires some measure of risk, and and there have been certainly things that we've tried and said that didn't go as planned, and uh, and and that loses ultimately, right? That loses some equity uh, mm-hmm. when you present mm-hmm. the next idea. Uh, you lose a little bit of equity. So I do think we have to acknowledge those realities. Uh, the emails, the, the 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 those who would prefer something more stable, uh, as well. I will also say one of the things I would encourage every leader to understand is that uh, this is why I talk about like off seasons or seasons of experimentation and innovation, uh, because one of the things we do recognize is that the church is a stabilizing fit place for sure. so many people and families, and we don't want them to lose that stability, particularly in the light of the uncertainty in the in the just the uncharted waters of our world uh always but certainly over the last couple of years mm-hmm. uh the church has been a place of uh stability and it's, it's been a steady space and so we try to make sure we're also managing the win so that we do not uh, uh improperly steward people's n- need for mm-hmm. a consistency from us uh, and so I think those are some of the things that we do try to take into consideration. Some of the solutions to that have been uh, uh, one example has been just communicating vision casting 
when we will be trying new things. And mm -hmm. I have been amazed to see how that helps our congregation kind of say, okay, I know my church is in this, this series of experimentation. We may say something like, hey, we're doing something this weekend and uh, next weekend, and, and we're trying something new. And we would love for you to be in the building to take this journey with us. And right. what we're doing is we're inviting them to be innovators with us. And, and typically, as I lead up to those moments, I also would encourage any leader to do this. Preach innovation through scripture so that you align people's theology to your sociological ask, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I'm gonna challenge you sociologically to, to try something new, to engage differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me tell you where that sociology starts with a proper theology. Look how Jesus did this. Look how mm -hmm. the disciples and the apostles did this. And look what the outcome was as a result of them trying something different, of them uh, uh, approaching community different. And so we try to make sure we, we always start with the theology of innovation before we launch something, uh, the sociology of innovation. And so uh, I think that's been some of the ways we've handled that. And here's the last thing I, I would just say is it, it's okay to take parallel paths. One of the things that I think uh, a mentor of mine really helped me to understand is that he said, Vernon, you're, you're so excited to do some of these projects and initiatives. And, and if you're a, a, you know, an apostolic leader or an innovator like me and a pure breed extrovert, uh, you have a new idea after every conference you go to. And so, you know, people, people dread you going, I know there's at least one leader listening. And it's like, yeah, that's me. People dread you going away to a conference because they know when you come back, you're going to have a brand new idea. You're going to scrap everything that we've been working on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the things that he encouraged me on that really helped me process this, he said, Vernon, okay to do parallel paths. It's okay to pilot things while you keep the ship steady over here. And in order to do that, ultimately, that is made possible through margin, right? It's like, hey, we're going to keep this going, but there's 20 people over here or there's 50 people over here, depending on the scale of your ministry. And uh, and I think they will really buy into this idea of what we're trying to curate. We're going to invite them to walk parallel to our church, still be in alignment with vision and mission, but know that they're, they're being welcomed in to a, a parallel journey uh, to, 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 to expose them and experiment with what could be the new way in which we want to try to uh, express the gospel. So uh, I think those are some of the ways we try to navigate some of those tensions uh, when they when they appear. Yeah, really great, really great. Well, Vernon, we want to thank you so much for being part of the uh, Church Explained podcast go. today. And uh, it's been so good to chat with you, Vernon, around church, but also around innovation. And I, I know leaders listening to this will have so much to take away. So a big thank you, Vernon, for being with us today. And want to thank all of our listeners today. And remember, if you want to uh, support what we do, then share, subscribe, leave a review. However you're consuming this content, then please do that. Also share it with someone that you may know uh, that this conversation would benefit them. And don't forget we've got all of our free resources at icon.church forward slash open and you can get signed up for exclusive uh, free content, uh, content and get access to that so we look forward to uh, being together next time on the church explain podcast we will see you soon